Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn and despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could present with you, be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for uh, gathering of saints. We thank you for uh, your word, which is uh, in so many ways a tool to guide us, but also a tool to bless us. So please help us now, Father, as we try to understand, as we try to kind of plug into the place where Paul is right now, uh, as he's talking to the Galatians. Please help me that I would just be able to present this, help the technology to go smoothly. May there be no failures with internet. May uh, there be no like weird delays in audio where I accidentally say something that comes across to the people at church as heresy. Uh, May you just uh, bless this time. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. All right, team. Well, uh, Julia read our uh, our passage there from Galatians four, and it's a it's a real interesting passage that we're getting into today. So let's let's dive in. Um, earlier this week, Annie and I watched this film from the two thousands called uh, Vertical Limit, and it was kind of a bummer because uh, it's a really bad movie. Uh, but it's part of this trend of films in the late 90s and early 2000s where uh, they kind of all fall under the same tropes, but it's all these like survival movies where you have this like ragtag bunch of people uh, who form this group when they're in really dire circumstances and they have to survive. And, you know, you can always guess the people who are going to make it. You've got, you know, the the handsome lead actor, his romantic interest, occasionally the person who's like the really goofy guy, but not the goofy and obnoxious guy because he usually dies. Um, people of different ethnic and racial groups, you know, it can be kind of a, it can be kind of a mixed bag. Honestly, that's a whole can of worms. It's not worth getting into right now. But uh, there's always this moment of reflection at the end of the film where the main characters have kind of like made it to the finish line. It'd be like the helicopter's coming down to carry them back home or, you know, uh, maybe the army shows up and they're, and they're finally protected. And they kind of reflect on uh you know the the journey that they went through but also the ones who died gum just just didn't make it and i always i think one of the reasons these movies bothered me watching them when i was a kid was because they seemed to bear like all of these like side characters who just didn't make it were always so inconsequential they were always it just it, it didn't really matter the humanity of these people because in the story they really weren't people they were only uh, things to push forward the main characters. But it's weird to think that like at the end of this dire circumstance, you're kind of standing amongst the survivors and thinking back of those who didn't make it. 
Um, as I've kind of like reflected on this passage and uh, the tone that Paul is taking, like there's this weird like parallel that I've seen between like this idea of these survival films and in a big way, like people who kind of grew up in Christian circles, whether we were um, you know, especially for locals like Desert Christian or Push Ridge, or maybe just heavily involved in a, in a, in a strong community of, uh, of Bible studies, or maybe even like campus ministries at the U of A or, or elsewhere. And, uh, and I, I mean, I think that as time goes by, especially as we break out of the adolescence period, where we're now, you know, we're not these, these really young teenagers, but we're actually like settled into adulthood. There is this kind of sense of looking back and thinking like those who weren't able to like carry their faith with them, uh, past that that early stage in life and it can become like weirdly tempting to look at it and think like i'm like the survivor of this of this ordeal now uh i should might be wondering how we're kind of making this connection with galatians 4 and what we see in galatians 4 specifically in this passage here is that it's really illuminating to the relationship that paul has with the galatians uh, we've mentioned this before, but essentially the Galatians had started to just uh, believe this wholesale idea that faith in Jesus as the full, like, kind of core of what it meant to be a Christian wasn't all we should be doing. We needed to add these works to it. And through our works, we were kind of earning the, the, the honor. We were kind of earning the, the favor of God. And... Uh, what Paul is making abundantly clear and what he does not just here, but through all six chapters of this book, as he communicates, this is not just like some hiccup of, of faith. This is like literally bordering into leaving the faith altogether, um, that you would uh, be so bold as to think that you could be like co-saviors with Jesus, that you guys could just be partners in working through this. And in this passage specifically, we see like not a lot of like teaching, like Paul is not appealing to logic here. He's not, uh, he, he's, he's, he's beyond the times where he was referring to himself as an apostle. At this point, Paul is essentially saying, if we could paraphrase, like, like what's wrong with you guys? Like, like, I thought we were cool. Like, why are you acting like this? Like, literally he's saying like the last time we were together, like, you guys were, were super cool. You supported me. You treated me like I was an angel that fell down from the heavens. You treated me like I was Christ himself. That's the respect and the honor that you paid to me. And now you're, you're treating me like I'm an enemy. And I'm telling you what is not just truth, but it's truth to help you. Like I'm trying to help you. What's wrong? What's, what, what happened? And they were literally on the verge of leaving uh, what we understand as basic Christianity, which is that you can't save yourself. You can only be saved. And, that, and this was true from Old and New Testament. Salvation can only come through faith, through basically acknowledging a need for a savior and then asking Jesus to be that savior, that we can't add works to that. 
And so Paul's language here is shifting from all of the arguments of his apostleship before and appeals to themes from the Old Testament. And now he's just speaking in this very abrupt, very visual, very like, you know, he compares the pain that he experiences to that of a mother in childbirth. Uh, he, he says that you guys were once so cool with me. It was like you would have pulled your eye out of your head to give it to me if I needed it. Like just very like vivid language he's using here to really express just how much his heart is aching that these people would consider leaving uh, the gospel that we cling to. And so uh, as I as I've reflected on that, especially reflecting it based on like that connection, I think a lot of us especially those of us who have been like in the faith or at the very least in faith circles for a while. Like when we think of, you know, this phrase of like those who walked away or those who didn't make it even, there's probably a number of names that probably come to our heads. And some of them may have been more like passive where it was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. We didn't talk that much, but you know, he seemed like he loved Jesus and it doesn't seem like he does anymore. Or even those where it's like maybe there was a very deep and rich relationship and, and it's, it was painful, it was difficult. Uh, it was a harsh thing to experience. And so uh, I think that what we can do is we can look at Paul's place here. We can look at the tone that Paul is taking. And I think we can, uh, we can pick three things out of it. Uh, we can pick three things. So the first one is that Paul is moved with love uh, and affection. Paul is moved with love and affection. Um, Paul is someone who's responding like he takes it personally, but on their behalf, not his. He's not thinking like, wow, it looks like I wasted my time with you bums. Like this wasn't even worth it then. Like, no, he's, he's offended on behalf of how much they are jeopardizing for it. But his, his offense is deeply an outpouring of the love that he has for them. Like, it's weird to think in terms of like, because we recognize that love is, uh, love can be this feeling, like this intense feeling of like longing and affection. Uh, but we also recognize love to be an action, some, an active decision that needs to be made. I think in this, we can see both. Paul is um, choosing to love the Galatians in this time. I mean, that's why he's putting this effort into this book that he's sending them, or into this, this, uh, this letter that he's sending them. But he also has this deep feeling of love for them. And I think it, it's very reflective of how God responds to uh, this like departing mentality of his people. Even you can look back in, in the time before or the time after uh, the flood when Noah's family and all of his descendants kind of returned to their sinful ways. Like God felt like a grief, felt like a pain in his heart out of, uh, out of response to the place that these people had gone to. And even Jesus, when we think of Jesus uh, 
before just a few days before his crucifixion weeping over the people of Israel because they did not understand the goodness of the gospel that was before them and so his response he was moved to tears and love that he had for them and so you'd think that Paul uh, would respond with like this like anger and frustration or even a, a common response can be one of like moral superiority where it's like well you guys just just didn't press the pedal to the metal hard enough. You just didn't cut the mustard. You just didn't try, I guess. You just didn't try. And I think that that kind of viewpoint is, is extremely unbiblical and problematic because we are forced to remember when we think of the idea of salvation that it's by grace alone and by faith alone. So the idea that scripture tells us that we're saved by faith alone that no man should boast and then we turn that into boasting on our behalf when others leave like that's literally the opposite of what the scriptures are telling us to do and paul is not boasting here paul is not gloating over the galatians either he's he's clearly heartbroken he's clearly moved by love one thing i love about this part is that the last verse in our passage, he says, I wish I could be close to you guys. Like, he's like, I wish I wasn't bound by, by the, by the, I wish I wasn't only as close to you as the ink from this paper. I wish I could actually be there. Like, I want to talk to you people. I want to hear what you have to say, but I also just kind of want to shake you a little bit to understand that what you're leaving behind is, is irreplaceable. You can't go down this road. I am pleading with you. That is like such a strong response of love. And so any, any feelings of judgment or even apathy that I think we can be tempted to when we look to those who we love, who have either taken steps away from faith or fully moved in that direction, the, the response ought to be love, 100%. Because ultimately it is, a, uh, it is a reflection of God's love that he has for them. Even, even God speaking, saying that he doesn't even rejoice over the death of like legitimately evil men. God is still just, and God is still just against evildoers, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have this like yearning, this longing and desire for, uh, for those who have turned away, turned their backs to, to still turn back to him. Uh, so that's our first point. Uh, Paul is moved by love. We should be moved by love with, with people who are in this scenario. Uh, the second is that Paul is angry with those who led him, with those who led them astray. Uh, in this passage, Paul is referring to the, the quote unquote Judaizers who kind of convinced the Galatian church that this was the right path for them to go down. Uh, that they that they should uh, enforce uh, works of the law as a way of proving yourself as a Christian or to really make yourself a Christian. He's angry at them. He tells them he's like, "You got you. You're acting as though they're working for your good, but they're not working for your good. They're actually working to separate you." Like Paul is very abrupt in calling out the intentions of those who are leading them astray. And when I think about this, it's complicated because I think that oftentimes when we think of this idea of like false teachers, we think like, oh, what's a false teaching? Oh, like Mormonism, 
I guess, right? Because he's Joseph Smith and there's like this angel and they they wrote their own books and they don't really like the Bible. That like we can say, oh yeah, well that's a false teaching. That's a false gospel. It's a, it's a misrepresentation. But I think that what we see, especially today, is that um, like these like alternative gospels to the one that we serve, they're not restricted to religious circles. I think we can think of a number of gospels, and a lot of them even take elements of what we consider to be virtuous and valuable, but they distort them in a way to where they're no longer actually gospel-centered. Uh, like one I can think of um, that I thought of in, in, in working through this was like, you know, I, I see in, in very like kind of secular uh, circles this idea of like, you know, prioritizing self-love. And I don't think self-love is a bad thing, and, and nor does the scriptures like the idea of self-love is reinforcing that like we are valuable and ought to be treated as though we have value because god has given that value to not just us as believers but to all who bear his image like the idea of self-love and, and honest and often that comes with you know uh uh, being being cautious of how other other people treat you and maybe setting hard boundaries and things like that. A lot of those things are are in essence very valuable. But if the gospel itself, if the gospel, the good news, what kind of motivates us to get up every morning is centered around the self, then that is a contrary gospel to the one that we serve because we we believe that Christ is the highest point of all these things, not us. It's not us ultimately. Or even uh, alternatively, we could think of like kind of like the hard work gospel or maybe like the American dream gospel, not calling out any form of like American politics, but just this idea that uh, you should be able to benefit from the things that you work for. The higher you climb on this ladder, whether it's work or virtue or whatever else, you should be able to receive good things from that. Now, obviously, like we as Christians believe that you should work hard, that we should commit ourselves to our labor, that our, that our work should parallel the excellency of the God who created us. But if we start to view work as the way that we receive all good things, then ultimately that can lead us to, to believing, which I've, I've had conversations with friends like this in the past, where they're like, I don't know if I want a salvation that's just given to me. I'd like to believe that I earned it in some way. And I'm like, but dude, that's, that's literally the opposite of how things are supposed to work. And so like in, in this idea of recognizing false teachers, we have to recognize that like the, the, the notion of false gospels is so like prevalent around us that it's really hard to just try and distinguish that altogether. I think that it is loving and I think it's considerate to recognize them. But I also think the worst thing we can do, and I do see this at times, is that we recognize those who are teaching contrary to Christ and then we just hurl flaming arrows at them as hard as we can. And then we commit ourselves to this like slander and backbiting and, you know, really hateful talk. And that is completely unbecoming of a Christian, regardless of what these people are saying, even if it's wrong. Because I think we should anchor ourselves in, you know, what Paul, Paul himself says in Ephesians, which is that we don't actually wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting these people physically. 
but we're against these evil spirits and these spiritual oppression. It's the, it's the ideas and, these, and the anchors of these ideas, the roots of these ideas that are so problematic. So we can address and we can criticize and we can call out false gospels by anchoring ourselves in the true one, but also not by throwing away love and how Christians should conduct ourselves uh, in doing so. And then our last, our last thing, the last thing here that Paul does in this passage is Paul is projecting the beauty of the gospel. Paul is again, like putting forward to these people who he's very, very concerned are on the verge of leaving it. He, he magnifies how valuable and how beautiful it is. And as I was working through like kind of how to explain this, I was like, I was actually struggling quite a bit. I was like, how the heck do I just explain like why the gospel is so significant? Because it's, 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 it's enormous, right? Like we can't just say, oh, well, the gospel means that like, oh, our, our sins are forgiven. That's true. That's absolutely true. But is that the whole of the gospel or what makes it beautiful? is a question that we have to ask. And, and what makes the gospel this like thing that even while offensive to our most inward beings is also something that the world can look on and see as attractive because it's connected to the creator of all good things. And I thought of like all these like kind of like connections. I even came up with this like little phrase, which I, I, I don't even think I wrote it down because it sounds really arrogant and kind of conceited. But it was this idea that God and the gospel is the substance that is casting all the shadows that we're longing for. When we find ourselves deeply hurt by the ways of the world or even of the areas in life that we feel like we've been neglected or, or hurt or harmed. Like there is so much in the substance of God that is meant to address and to meet that. If not in whole now, then, then one day it would be, you know, all of us have this, this deep longing, regardless of our background or where we come from, but many of us have this, this longing to be like accepted and loved and Christ is able to offer that in the gospel. And, and many of us struggle with, with shame or, or with guilt in some capacity. And only Christ himself can take that away from us and give us like that feeling of completeness. And so there's all these like logical strands that I'm kind of like tying together as to what, as to how we can like continue to, to make much of the gospel to those who are starting to lose their like taste for it. But then I thought, and I, I think this is where I'm gonna land, which is really what the first and second points of today were about, is that the way that we project the love of the gospel is by continuing to love those who are like kind of on the fringes of the faith to continue to see them and treat them and love them as equals and not as like lesser people, you know? I think that a lot of uh, experiences have been had by those who have walked away from Christian circles, even if not the faith itself, but just Christian circles. A lot of hurt and pain has been felt by feeling like, well, 
uh, I thought that I had some kind of intrinsic value just in the fact that I was a person. But then when I said certain things to certain people, all of a sudden I found that this community that I thought was so like strong really uh, wanted nothing more to do with me. And again, Paul does not say, I'm so glad I'm writing this letter because there's not a chance I would sit down at a table with you because you guys are off your rockers right now. Paul's saying the opposite. Paul's saying, I wish I could be right there in a land with no cars or trains or planes. Lord knows the foot travel necessary to get from where he was to Galatia. But he's like, I wish I was there. I wish I could come out there because I want to draw close to you. The love that we show those who are, you know, inside and outside of the faith is a reflection of the love that God has as well. And I think it's so important to recognize that. There's a great passage in, in Romans. And for those of you guys who stayed late last week to watch that movie Pig, which I think anyone should watch. It's, it's R, but it's not like bad R, but we'll get into that later. Uh, there's this passage in Romans that describes so like perfectly that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's kindness that leads us to repentance. The way that we show them the love of God is by loving them and loving them self-sacrificially, even when it brings us no personal benefit or satisfaction, because how else do we represent the gospel than by demonstrating the gospel to them? And I think that one thing I wanted to say kind of as, a, as I start to like tie the bow on this message is that I, I don't want this to come across as, as deeply instru instructional just for those who do have those on the outskirts of faith or those who, who they have perhaps need to like re-engage with. I want to remind us that while God through this text is pouring out a great deal of love and mercy on the Galatians who are about to receive this message. There is another figure in this text who is deeply and richly loved by God, and it's Paul. It's Paul, and we have to recognize that because what I want all of us as, as believers or not, whoever is listening to this, to recognize is that God has a tremendous love for us. For those who are outside the faith, he has the love of a, I don't know, of a parent of a young child who has just packed up their bags and is walking across the street into busy traffic. It's a love that's like, come back, please. Let me take care of you. Don't harm yourself. But for, for those who like are believers, God has this tremendous love and satisfaction with us that he would truly see his own son in Jesus Christ, that he wouldn't see all of our wrongs and all of our dumb mistakes, of which there are many, guys. Life is long and we are dumb creatures, like, but God still has this tremendous love for us. And I think we have to acknowledge that because I think that Oftentimes, and I, I've experienced this a lot too. When I have a friend who I used to kind of, kind of, kind of kick it with, who has decided, like, I don't really know if Jesus is, 
is my is my thing after all. I think one of my first responses is to think like, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I like? Did I? I I knew I should have invited him to that Bible study. I know he said he had to work on Thursdays, but I should have really pushed it, right? Or man, maybe that conversation that I had with him where he walked away discouraged, that was maybe maybe his decision to do this was based on that. Or, um, you know, may, maybe he just didn't like the way that I presented this or that. And, and we just have to acknowledge, guys, that it doesn't matter. Like there is not a man or woman alive, save Christ, who has the, the intelligence or the ambition or the initiative or the wisdom or the charisma or anything else to light the spark of the Holy Spirit in someone else. Like we don't have that power. We don't. If you're thinking back and you think of somebody and you're like, oh, shoot, I did call that person every horrible name in the book. Like, then you should apologize to them, not so it can serve some pragmatic purpose of bringing them back to church, but because we're Christians and we confess to people when we do wrong and we apologize and we repent of our sins. So if you're thinking that, like, by all means, seek out that person that you have in your mind and, and, and apologize for whatever wrong you may have committed, but don't do it because you're holding yourself responsible because that's not true. Again, Paul is not like, ah, oh, man, when you got, when I was with you guys, I really wish I would have said this. I really wish I would have said that. No, I mean, if we recognize that salvation is by grace and that it's a gift from God, then like, unless we're God, we can't hand that out to people and we definitely can't take it away. Um, we definitely can't strip it away. So as we reflect on these things, and I know that for many of us, there's a lot that can kind of like overflow from these types of reflections because they usually have to do with the past and not just others from the past, but dealing with ourselves and who we were in the past. There can be a lot to reflect on. But one thing I want to I want to strengthen all of us with is that one, we can't cancel out salvation for anybody else. If there's sins to be to be confessed, confess your sins a thousand percent, but don't hold that evil demonic burden of guilt that is absolutely not yours to carry. You must not do that. And lastly, we just remember that the blessing, one of the great blessings of the gospel is that we are able to reflect on all that Christ has done for us and recognize that we are complete, fully in him as we look to him. That That's literally what Paul is begging the Galatians to understand is stop circumcising your young men. Like stop, you know, stop uh, I don't know, carving dreidels and building menorahs. You don't need this stuff. What we have is fully given to us in Christ. And once we have looked to God in faith, we are good and we are good forever. So press into him, respond to the grace that God has given you, but don't carry this burden of, of weight as if you're saving yourselves because none of us can. And so what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to go into a time of confession before we have our worship response. Uh, that worship response is going to look like coming to the, uh, to, the, to the table for the Lord's Supper. 
Um, I don't believe uh, Mike was able to attach the robotic arms to the TV that I requested. So I believe that Andy will likely be administering that. Um, and then we'll also be responding with music and, uh, and with giving. Giving will be in the back at the tablet behind the uh, last row of chairs. But before that, we're going to go into a time of confession. And this doesn't have to be a time of confession like uh, I have to think of some dude who's not a Christian anymore who I was wrong to. Let this be a time of confession where we just bring forth a moment of honesty with God. Because confession is such a beautiful thing. Imagine, imagine if you knew growing up with one of, with your parents that every time you apologized for something that you did, that they would forgive you and that they wouldn't put any like horrible burden on you, but they would also encourage you to continue, to continue to do what is right. That is the promise that we have when we confess to God. Like we can confess, we can bring our sins before him and we can know that we are fully forgiven for it. So I'm gonna pray for us. Uh, we'll have two minutes of silence and then Mike will lead us in, uh, in musical worship as Andy will um, administer the, the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, uh, God, again, I, I don't want this to become some, some funky like inspirational how-to uh, for anything. Ultimately, I really want it to be an affirmation that uh, everything that Paul was saying to the Galatians was just like, stop putting these rocks and these large sticks and these burdens on your back. Trust that when you are putting faith in God, when you're putting faith that all sins have been paid for, that all wrongs have been covered, that it's true, that, is, that it's 100% true. And so may you cover all of us with grace um, for whatever wounds that we're, that we're holding today, for whatever fears that we have of stepping closer to you. May, you. may you meet us. May you show us your goodness. May you show us that you are not um, hiding your face from us, that you are not being cruel to us. Uh, help us to speak to you and speak to you honestly. Just as Paul was speaking with so much genuineness and so much so much straight from the heart. May we speak that way as we speak to you right now, Father. Not hiding, uh, but speaking to you honestly and candidly about our hearts and about the state that we come to you in. So I pray that we would come before you right now and confess. In the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs>